So my big idea this morning is the gospel message gives us new desires. The gospel message gives us new desires. These desires will indeed dictate our priorities. Our desires will indeed dictate our priorities. So the gospel, number one, the gospel message or the good news gives us a new desire to prioritize prayer. The good news gives us a new desire to share the message and the good news gives us a new desire to show compassion with authority. So the storyline flows from the previous verses, which is in chapter 1, verse 32. It says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So that is the setting. He comes off at the end of the Sabbath, and he was healing the sick, and there was a, almost a tiredness. You can almost sense the adrenaline running in Jesus. I mean, now he needs to get to rest. I can see him almost like Donnie's voice, Collie, we need to get out of here. We, we've done what we had to do. That is Don. And so off we go. And Jesus takes his boys, and they go off, and they're in a quiet space. And now it says, and by that time, they need to go and rest. They're exhausted. And I can imagine the disciples. I mean, there must have been excitement there. People are healed. Can you imagine this uh, jovialness, the uh, rejoicing in homes? The one that was blind can now see. The one that was lame can now walk. Can you imagine that excitement, the hype that was surrounding even that space? But we enter the story in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray and he prayed. I love this follow-through. What he intended to do, he did. What he intended to do, he did. The good news gives us a new desire to pray. Jesus' intention was to draw aside and pray. Mark wants us to see the life and lifestyle of Jesus that brings, as it were, something of a new desire, but also gives us a priority towards someone that's loving. One that calls us beloved. Because Jesus finds him in the self. Remember there was the baptism and the uh, Holy Spirit comes and descends and the voice opens up as it were from heaven. When the heavens open up where the voice speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This one who is the beloved, now go and he needs to meet with the one who affirmed that belovedness on him. So Jesus sets an example of prioritizing and being intentional in meeting with the Father in the very busyness of his life. Take note, it was, it was busy. There was meetings and he was healing folk. And now he had to rise up very early because he was always surrounded by people. So he chose a time early in the morning while it was still dark. Now that is not prescriptive. I'm not saying to you, get up at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning and start to pray. However, I woke up at 2 this morning thinking it was 5 to 6. And then I just jumped into praying. I would lean that into Joyce. Joyce is very good at that. Joyce wakes up with so much uh, resoluteness, and she goes and she prays. I would take a while. I still need to you know, convince myself to get out of bed. Jesus was just ready to do this because he needed to connect with his dad. He's always been surrounded with all the people, but now he needs to go and meet with the Father the more demands that were placed on him, the greater his dependency on the Father and the Holy Spirit. We all have demands placed on us. 
in parenting, in our work assignments, in school activities, even in the sporting schedules that are now arranged at schools. It's hectic. But this verse reminds us that Jesus' ministry did not flow out of the fact that he was God only on earth. So here he comes. He's taken the form of the servant. We must remember he emptied himself of the privileges of the divinity. And so now he comes and stands under the Father. He's coming to the Father. He needs to hear from the Father. So that's the humility. He comes to the Father. He's taken the form of a servant. So the weight of his ministry was not for him to bear alone. He comes under the Father. He comes to seek what is the Father's will. And all the time in the Gospels, it says that when he spoke, he says, I do what I see the Father doing. I go to the Father and hear from the Father. Instead, most of his ministry operated as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus did this, we can do no less. If Jesus did this, we can do no less. And I hear Paul echoing in the background, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. We are, told, we are not told what he prayed, but boy, he needed to hear from the Father as to his will and plan for his everyday movements. And that's the prayer that comes out. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Eugene Peterson does a wonderful work in, on prayer where he says we go and we lay ourselves down to rest and we say, now your uh, will be done. I've done all I could do. And I can see Jesus when he went to rest. Look, Father, your will was done for the day. And then he rises up again. He says, now let your kingdom come. And I go after everything that you've purposed for me to do this day. What a lesson for us. A lesson of humility on complete dependence on the Father. We don't just run ahead. If you've encountered me, even when I do my pastoral duties in the church, it would be one that I would say, have you heard from the Lord? Because I can tell you loads of things. But unless you've heard from the Lord, because I can't just hear for you from the Lord, there's a thing where you need to go and hear from God for yourself too. And then do we team together in that way? Jesus said many times in the gospel, the Father and I are one. His devotion to the Father resulted in daily pattern of prayer. Devotion is mentioned ten times. And five times it's always referred to prayer. There's a pattern of prayer. It's similar to sort of having a relationship with your spouse. I just don't do roses on Valentine's Day. I actually don't do roses on Valentine's Day. I will do any other day, you know, because I think that's just, yeah, let's not go there. But I think there's got to be a pattern in how we do this thing, how we express our love for one another. Oh, well, between Joyce and myself. So he had this pattern of prayer, and he said, without him, I can do nothing. He lived to do his will, John 5 Verse 19, what the Father see, or what the Father do, and what I see the Father do, I do. He was in partnership with the Father. This kept him on point. The partnership with the Father kept him on point. We're as a team, and we team together. We always want to hear what the Father has to say to us. So when you look at us, even as a leadership team in the church, we always want to hear, what is God saying? How is God directing our steps? Lord, what do you want for the church? Even as we prayed this morning, we have some sort of resistance. But we come to the Father and we say, Lord, we bring even what is the resistance we laid at your feet. We bring it to him. So here we are. When we became children of God, 
we're entered into this wonderful partnership with him. Jesus executed his intention with purpose and action. Yes, you may say, I have a spirit to pray. But are you acting upon that? Oh, I, I, I desirous to pray this morning. I was desirous to get up early. I was desirous to meet with the Lord. Carve out time in your day. And I would bring it to bear upon us this morning that we need to take time out, get to meet with the Father, to hear from Him what His will is for us today. What qualified Jesus to pray? Was the affirmation of the sonship, this led Him to pray, the words that this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The check-in with the Father was essential to the Son. How's the Father? And there's this love relationship that we don't fully understand. They must have shared with each other. Take note, here Jesus is talking to the Father and hearing the Father's affirmation, you're my son. We've got to be aware of the, the, the intoxicating cup of human applause. What he wanted to hear was the Father's words to him. Because sometimes we get caught up. Someone else affirms, oh, that is great. But what I want to hear is the well done of the Father and that's what Jesus was doing. He's modeling it so well before us. We're saying again, this is the lifestyle we want to adopt. The lifestyle of hearing the Father's affirmation. Well done. Well done. It is grace that qualifies us all to call Him ever Father. Grace draws us all. It's not for a selected few. It's for the all. We all step into this. So we too can call Him ever Father. So Jesus' desire to pray enabled him to be prioritized, to meet with his Father, the one in whom he delighted. For us, we don't just hear his words, we adopt his lifestyle. And it is marked by this relationship that we engage in, a purposeful relationship, an intentional relationship. We move towards the person that we want to relate to. Life gets busy, and we get so easily distracted. But as Christ followers, we all have a desire to pray. But sometimes we find it hard to prioritize the prayer time. Will you agree with me? And sometimes it's difficult. Because so many things just happen. We go through various seasons of our lives. And sometimes when you're younger, you may have more margin. And then you get engaged. And then you get married. And then the children come along. Ask Heidi, she'll tell you. And then the two little girls just takes more of your chunks of your life. And now you need to be strategic in how you're going to carve out that time to spend with the Father. So Donnie and I, we have a relationship. But I have to be intentional if I want to move towards him. I have to say, Donnie, I'm coming to see you. I remember one day I just drove around there and I'm here. Don says, what, what are you doing here? I think it was like two years ago. He's like, this is new to me. I said, I'm just coming to have a glass of water with you. And we sat outside and we had a glass of water. And ever since, now Donnie rocks up at my place. Can you imagine... I mean, New Year's, what's it, New Year's Day, Second Year's Day, I'm coming to have a cup of tea with you. I mean, he's, he's rocking about my house these days. And that's because there was an intention. We move towards each other. So much more do we do this with our Heavenly Father. We move with intention towards Him. We rise, even from a space of comfort, of rest, and what, where we find all our comfort spots and all our body, and we move to meet with the One, the One that has drawn us into his marvelous, loving presence. We want to practice His presence. We want to not only just practice it, we want to encounter Him when we meet in His presence. 
That's what we're going to do on Wednesday when we come together. We're going to be coming to worship who? The king. Eh? Yes, we're going to see each other, but it's about him. We're going to come and express what we've practiced in private. We come to express in public. So what Jesus did in private, he did in public too. It wasn't nevertheless. Nothing was lesser than. Spurgeon says the secret or secret prayer is the secret of prayer. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. So as I said, I'm aware of our busy seasons of life. There are many demands placed upon us daily, with its family, work, recreation, in parenting. This can be the craziest time, especially if you're a new parent. We just, Joyce and I attended the Sukunia out in Simonstown, or Fishwick the other day, and just hearing stories of new mums when they come into the church. I mean, they just like trying to get there. With the baby, I mean, babies will be falling out, and if there's more than one, they're just dragging themselves in. So I have a greater compassion for these mums who come into a space. Let us also, together in our togetherness, let's engage them too well, so they too can enjoy the time in togetherness. Can you see how busy their lives are? They're running. We went to see a mum the other day, and it just was crazy, a new mum. And it was just a crazy space. I thought, how do you do this? I don't think I can ever get into that space again. I mean, but it was hectic. It was going. But we understand the season. So you as a new mom, you take your time. Whether it's going into the shower, that's how I used to start off, just praying. I found that shower time was better for me. Water running, then it came water restriction. So it went from 10 minutes rugby to about three minutes. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So I had to step out. And I, I find sometimes I get in the car, and I have to find my solitary space, and I'm driving even on Friday, I just went off to the beach. I do well on the beach. And I just, like a few minutes, I can walk there. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, I sense your presence. It's just amazing to me. I want to know his presence. I want to feel him. We are not called so that we can look at ourselves every morning in the mirror. We are called to come face to face with the king of glory first. So before we encounter the faces of people I want to personally say that to myself before I want to do any work in the house of God. I want to come face to face with the God who owns this house, who's head of this house. He's the king. He's the one who reigns. I love Jesus going to the Father from the prayer that he taught us. What is amazing that he says, now uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He goes in daily to the Father. And this just came upon me. There's this bite sizes of what the Father wanted to pour into him daily to fulfill his ministry. Bite sizes. Michael Eaton, in some of his works, he's got called slices. So Jesus wanted to give him a slice just for today. Hey, that was his daily bread. Now you go and do this. Hey, we want to go with a whole basket full. Give it all to me today. No, 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 no. Just enough for today. Go and accomplish this. And sometimes we are overwhelmed even by what the assignment before us. But we go to the one who assigned us to do the assignment first. Therein lies that his yoke is, is in his burden, his light for us. I love this revelation of mutual submission. When this happens to the one who submit, the one that he's submitting to, the voice of that one is sweet. His request is just welcoming. His sayings, I just want to carry out. And his will is what I just want to fulfill. I got this revelation just the other day. I sat, sat with Don and we were doing the DNA. And I said to Donnie, that was so sweet. I've never, ever had this. And for me, it was a miracle. I sat there and I was watching him and I said, what you're saying sounds so sweet to me. I don't think I've ever heard it so sweet in my life. 
And that was just a beautiful sense of, as I was working through this text, of submitting to. There's a beauty of submitting to. As we submit to the Father, it's not a harshness, but a gentleness. He's a gentle Father. And so do not fear to go and meet with Him. Do not fear to submit to Him. Submission is a word we try to keep even out of the church. In relationships, I want to say to, if you young married couples, and the, that's the essential word, submission. You know that, eh? Yeah. It's an amazing word. We submit to one another. I submit under your will. That's what the, the wife says to the husband. I come under your will because you're under his will. And so we submit to the head of the church. We are the body. We are the members. But we all submit to the one head. So as Donnie and I continue to prioritize our friendship, I think we discover the sweetness of being on mission together and welcoming Kulu. We're not leaving you out. It's great. We just, it's just a sweet space. It's a wonderful space, knowing that we're doing this together in partnering with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we need to resist. We need to fight everything that comes after what is the most important treasure to us. Sometimes things of less importance has a greater pull on the affections of our heart. What we treasure, treasure most will ultimately dictate what we prioritize. I repeat that. Some things of less importance wants to take priority in our lives. But what we treasure most will ultimately dictate what we prioritize. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Is your treasure at His feet? Is He the one you treasure today? Today we surrender to Him again afresh. We submit to that. We all need to cover time to have this intimate fellowship with the one who has called us beloved. If prayer to Jesus was not optional but essential, so it must be to us. We shall not compromise this priority of growing deeper in discipleship and higher in our dependence on our Father. Our approach to life from this moment should be a life set apart, consecrated afresh to enjoying His presence in private. We, did a meeting, we had a meeting the other day, and somebody said, well, they do not understand the English word because they have an Afrikaans upbringing. And we had to then find an Afrikaans word for the person. I thought of this word, and uh, the Afrikaans translation of devoting ourselves to God. Die woord is toewijding. It's a goeie, warme woord. You understand Afrikaans? It is so all-embracing. And then the guy who said it to me, he says, this Toewijding aan God is like consecration to God. We consecrate ourselves afresh to the one in whose, in whose presence we want to be found more than anything. I love to be in your presence. Not only singing praise with your people, but I love to be in your presence, oh Lord. Secondly, the gospel message gives us a new desire to share the good news. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone! is looking for you. Oh, I love what Jesus does here. Jesus puts what is on the heart of God before the demands of the people. What's in the heart of the, of the Father? All miracles, all miraculous works take second place to the preaching of the good news. This was a priority for Jesus. He knew it from the Father. I've come 
so that no one should perish. And they would not perish because they have heard the good news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word that is preached. Jesus' submission to the Father in private was the same as it was in public. So Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. Let us go. He doesn't say, guys, I'm leaving you to sleep. I'm leaving you alone. You can have the day off. I'm going myself. He said, let us go. I love that inclusion. He's taking us with him. We're on mission with God. We're not on our own mission. Walk I. If we're on our own mission, something's up. We're on mission with God. And as we're on mission with him, oh, as the gospel advances, the kingdom of God comes. And that's what we want to see happening in our our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in the world. We want to see this happen. I'm just walking through my community the other day, and there's just been a spite of uh, silliness where folk, young guys on drugs, are trying to jump over walls, and just, they're on, on this high. And Joyce asked me, how can we tackle this? And something just resonated with me. The power of the gospel can change lives. Yes, we can bring all other means in, but it's the power of the gospel. Paul was persuaded with this. Jesus himself lays the foundation for this. I've come to preach the good news. That is why I came. The private lifestyle of prayer, its regular rhythms, is the secret for the fruitfulness of seeing the kingdom come. Time with the Father and hearing His voice was essential for Jesus. The priority of preaching the good news took precedence above all other requests and voices because, as He said in verse 38, that is why I came. The Old Testament prophet spoke at large about the coming Messiah. The prophet Isaiah prophesied, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. This verse has been weighing on me for a long time. And Kulu gave me the word before we went to our trip to India and Nepal. And I came back, and I remember Daniel in Thailand had the word spoken to him three times. And I was still joking. He said, man, I heard it one, and I said, yes, Lord. And he heard it thrice, I mean. <laughs> and, and just this last few weeks, it was just impressing upon me how beautiful are the feet. I actually looked down this morning. I was watching some folks' feet. Please don't do that right now. And I thought, that's one place we don't look at. And yet our Heavenly Father says, beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news. Not only beautiful are their feet, beautiful are they who take the good news. All of us become beautiful in the sight of the Father. We just become like sweetness to Him because we're doing what the Son did and what we ought to be doing. Isn't that amazing? There's a sweetness, there's a beauty in that. Hey, you're never ugly in the kingdom. You're beautiful especially when you align yourself to taking the good news forward. Our lives are made beautiful in the eyes of our Heavenly Father when we partner with Jesus and the Holy Spirit through the advancing the good news. As I said, this is how the kingdom comes. To the world, we look foolish. We may be ridiculed for this. Yes, they look at us. Oh, you foolish folk. What are you doing? This is what our brothers and sisters in Nepal are experiencing right now when they want to take the good news into the various neighboring towns and cities, there's this resistance coming up against them. They're praying for us. We too can go before the Father and pray for our brothers and sisters.
But we know that this message indeed has the power to transform lives. If you're here today, it does transform lives. I'm a recipient of that transformation. I'm the first of the miracles, I would say. Hey, in our family, yes, he's rescued me. It has been, it has been and is still in the business of rescuing men and women from the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin. And he's bringing them into this marvelous light. God uses the foolishness of preaching, proclamation to accomplish all of this. The gospel is the possession of Jesus. Even more, Jesus is the heart of the content of the gospel. The gospel defines us. We are defined by the gospel. As a gospel community, a family, we want to have this heartbeat, the heartbeat of Jesus for our neighbors, neighborhoods and nations, a heart for the lost. What a wonderful invitation. Jesus says, let us go. He's never sitting down, let us go. So we come together. Always remember Rick's words. This is the calibration time. Now we go and play the game away from tomorrow morning. Or even when we leave this place, we start going and we make it happen. Hey? And we live for the audience of one. There is a sweetness when we do it with Jesus in our personal lives and corporately. Today we desperately need to learn to put God's whispered leadings above the thundering demands of the people. It is the way the kingdom advances. And just a word of caution. If you're running it alone, you could come under the weightedness even of the assignment. So it's always joyous to team, first of all, with the Father, with the Spirit and the Son, and with brothers and sisters in the household of faith. Thirdly, the gospel message gives us a new desire to show compassion with authority. Now, I can tell you, I'm not a compassionate person, straight off. I'm not even a very talkative person. <laughs> well, true. Merrick Holtrick said to me one day, Colin, you're actually not an extrovert. You're not an introvert. You're a metrovert. It's got nothing to do with the trains. He says, you come alive for what excites you. I thought, oh, great, great. What excites me? Look at Joyce is smiling. <laughs> so the gospel message gives us a new desire to show compassion with authority. As I said, I'm not a most compassionate person. And it was always referred to, even by New Testament writers, it's always referred to Christ himself. In verse 40, as we read, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean, filled with compassion. Oh, the God of compassion. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. Many people are full of compassion, but don't have the authority to do anything about it. Other people have the authority to set people free, but they don't have compassion to motivate them. Jesus, as we see in this story, has both. He had the compassion and the authority. I love that about Jesus. Love without the truth, as they would say, is sentimentality. Truth without love is brutality. May we have both as we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, as we walk into a situation. It's wonderful when you can do the compassion thing up front, and I'm learning to do that more and more. God is bringing me to 
situations, and he's setting it up so well that I need to be compassionate. I mean, there was many of our folk that got ill, and God just moved my heart. I remember the one evening, before we went to the, we went to listen to Terry Virgo, little story, and I thought to myself, I got the SMS, and I'm being very vulnerable with you right now, and it, oh, I need some help. And I thought, man, I've met with you so many times. How am I going to do this? Lord, and somehow coming under the word, the word washed over me. I drove away there, transformed. I love this, what they call in theology, hermeneutical spiral. We come up and we experience him again afresh. Like, oh Lord, what was I thinking? And I go, and I connected with that person. I shared that with the person, by the way. I said to her, and when she just said how she, what she was going through that week, she wanted to almost call it a day. And yet God caused me to move with his compassion to order. Not on my own. Nothing of my own. God wants to touch us with compassion, and he wants to help us touch others with compassion. There's many stories I'm sure we can tell each other. I mean, there's one even classic one in our family, I recall. Many years ago, my brother-in-law got ill. Now, he was just a horrible fella. It always took down to me, and especially after he has more than three for the road, I would say. He get rough with me, and I'm like, oh, man, Joyce, how could we call you? Anyway, we got news that he was ill to the point of death. So we had to go off to the hospital. And Joyce, the person she is, full with compassion and faith, said, love, we need to go and pray. And I said, oh, man, he might as well go to greener pastures. I'm not into this. There was, no, there was no compassion flowing that day. And she said, no, we need to go. Reluctantly, I got up, dragging my feet. We went. Thank God for Joyce. He knew I needed that coal truck to team with me. You know, coal truck, I'm the steam train, but I needed that coal truck to take me over the hill. And um, so we go off, we go and say a prayer, and God does a work of tremendous, miraculous, intervention there. The man that was busy going turns around at death's door. And I, listen, there's nothing in me that can brag you because I wasn't even interested in getting there. This is all I had to just be God. He just said, come here by the scruff of my neck. I want you to do this. And I remember for 14 years, he, he lived then 14 years longer and he always said to me, it's because of you, pastor. You always say that. Then it became, it's because of you, pastor. Hey, God used you. Hey, one minute it was down there, now it's because God used you. And I thank, thank God for that moment, because then I realized, God, if you take a scoundrel like me, who had no compassion and used me in a situation, like that, he can use you too. He can use you. I don't think you can lower than me on that one. You know, didn't want to go there, wish the man who would go to greener pastures, and it was just like, I'm not touching this. Yet he gets me to come in. Through me, he wanted to touch him. It was Jesus touching him. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once, this is the, the leper, with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Why did Jesus give this man the strong warning to be silent about the miracle? Reason one, he thought of the welfare of the man. Once you were branded a leper, it would be difficult for you to enter into a society unless there's an authority figure like the priest to validate that. 
So Jesus counseled him to go through the proper Jewish system that would show everyone that he was really clean in verse 44. Secondly, Jesus did not want to draw much public attention to himself, especially from the Jewish authorities, which is why he chose Galilee and not Jerusalem as his starting point for ministry. So you remember the first miracle happened where? Capernaum. All right. That's where he changed water into wine. So this story sadly reveals how at times we can experience the benefits of the kingdom in healing, for example, restoration, without submitting to the authority of the king. We're just out for what we can get out of it, but not submitting to the authority of the king. Jesus is interested in our full obedience. Yes, he's here to touch you, but the greatest miracle is to see lives that are transformed turn around. What once was dead is brought to life. A life, and all of us were dead in our trespasses and sin, and the greatest miracle that could have been done is he brings us to new life. And as I conclude, so the good news, what does it do? It gives us a new desire to devote ourselves and prioritize prayer. The good news gives us a new desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ through a word of testimony, through your life story. You may go into your space of influence tomorrow. Take the opportunity, find an opportunity to share your story of what Jesus had done for you. All the miracles that happen in Scripture, you hear the guys, the man who was, uh, got his eyesight back, the man who was raised, the layman, they go and tell the story, look what was done to me. Look, I was blind, but now I see. I could not walk, but now I walk. The, the leper man, listen, I was unclean in the flesh. I could not even meet with community. He healed me, now I can meet with community. The greatest community to come into is into the family of God. Sin keeps us out of it. When we are SIN positive, we are ostracized. We are out in the dark. But he brings us in by his precious blood. He destroys the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin to bring us into fellowship with himself. So this is my prayers this morning, my response prayers for us today. Lord, today, this would be, maybe some of you who say, we want to prioritize our prayer time. We've been just running hectic. Life has been busy. But I want to prioritize prayer anew. I want to carve out time in my daily life to spend with the Savior. We're going to pray, God, for practical wisdom to carve out time for prayer in your everyday life. Secondly, we want to pray for fresh boldness. Maybe you once were bold enough to go and share the good news. And now you've just gone all, all, all off the boil, but we want the Spirit again to ignite a flame in you so that you realize that you don't go alone. Christ, go with you. He's in you. He's working through you to accomplish all that has already been said to do. So we ask the Holy Spirit to come today to do that. We want to also pray for people for fresh love to come upon them. Fresh love for healing and also for God's compassion to flow in them so they can show compassion to others. So Lord, even this morning as we stand, we pray. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning, but in your heart, you do business with God and say, Lord, help me to prioritize. I set time in devoting myself to a pattern of prayer so I get to know your heart because I do delight in you. Lord, give me a new love for your word. And when I fall in love with your word, I fall in love with you. And I want to take you, who you are, to my next door neighbor, to the next town, to the whole of the city, even to the nations. Lord, may you come and give us a fresh sense of your love for us. Maybe you're going through a difficult time, and we want to pray for a fresh, fresh sense of your love for us. But also we want to pray that your compassion, the compassion of Jesus, would flow through us. So we become his hands, his feet, his mouth, peace of gentleness, kind and mercy to a world that is hurting and need the compassion of Jesus. I've asked Lauren to come and share a testimony of how God miraculously has done work in her life and healed and touched her. Um, hi, everybody. Um, so when I was 16 or 17 years old, um, I, I developed quite hectic um, insomnia. And um, it, it, it's, it went into a, a cycle of three days where I quite literally wouldn't sleep for two nights. Um, and then on the third night, I would sleep, my body would pretty much crash and I would sleep for 11 hours. And this is something that, that continued in that three-day cycle. Um, and I took lots of kind of over-the-counter medications. Um, it, it didn't do anything for me. Um, and eventually, when I got to varsity, I wasn't able to cope anymore with the, the three-day cycle. And um, so I was put onto some prescription um, medication. It was the only way that I was able to sleep. And um, when we were part of a, a church previously, there was a pastor in that church that found out about my insomnia and committed to praying for me. And um, he prayed for me consistently, probably for about three or four years. Um, at times, fasted and prayed. Um, when I met Mark, he also um, prayed for me, and I had friends praying for me. And at times, I, I tried to go off the medication to see whether or not I had been healed, and immediately my body would revert back into that three-day cycle, and I knew that I still had to take this medication to be able to sleep. Um, and then one day, um, Mark said to me, well, why don't you just try again? Um, this was after nine years of having had chronic insomnia, and um, I once again tried to go off the medication and that night I was able to sleep for three hours. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but for me it meant that that three-day cycle was broken. Um, I was able to sleep that night. I was able to sleep the following night for a little bit longer. And um, eventually I, I obviously had to wean myself properly off this medication that I'd been on for so long. But by the time I had done that, I now sleep happily eight hours a night with no problem, um, and I've never struggled with insomnia again. Um, it has been incredible. Um, so for me, that is, that is one testimony where 
through persistent prayer, as Jesus taught in, in Luke 18 with the persistent widow, that we can pray and never give up. Um, so for people who are praying for others, that's an encouragement to continue praying um, and never give up. And I'm so grateful to those who prayed for me um, for so many years and that God eventually did heal me. That is one testimony. I have a second. <laughs> um, about four years ago, I, um, I've always struggled with my back. I have slight scoliosis in my spine. I used to struggle. I, I thought it was just a height thing, um, but it turned out I had scoliosis. I always used to struggle with a sore back. Um, literally, Mark used to rub my back every night because <laughs> um, it was sore. And Terry Virgo actually came and visited the church and um, felt that the Lord had, um, that his presence was here for healing of backs. Um, I went up. And he laid hands on me, and my, I actually felt heat um, and quite uncomfortable movements um, in my spine. And um, when he was finished praying, um, for the first time, I stood up completely straight. Um, and I said to Mark, please come and just feel my back, because there was always one spot where it almost felt like there isn't, but it, it almost felt like there was a bone missing in my spine because it was so skew that it just, um, it was always uncomfortable. And he came and felt it, and it was perfectly straight. Um, and I've never struggled again with a sore back. Um, so just, again, an encouragement that God heals, um, that he can heal through the laying on of hands instantly, and he can heal over a period of time with persistent prayer, um, he answers us. So hopefully that stirs faith in some of you today that um, God is a healing God and he wants to heal. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful message there in terms of um, just tying what Colin was uh, sharing with us this morning and just the, the healing touch of the Father who just carefully considers and understands our circumstance. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, sleepless nights, scoliosis in your back, whatever it is that you're experiencing, God's loving touch and His affectionate touch is there for you. And, um, and just to kind of understand the movement of the Holy Spirit when we gather in this fashion, when the Word is preached, when we come obedient under His Word, God ministers and speaks through us and through us as a community. And just Rigby just wanted to share something. Just felt that uh, impelled to, compelled to share something. And over to you, Rigby. It's uh, it's very very brief what I want to share, but it's so important. That I hate for us to miss this. Colin has really called us, and God through the Word of God has called us. These testimonies are fantastic. I'd love to say, let's not hear a testimony this morning. Uh, we're going to go to communion which is where we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross and he bore our infirmities and our sicknesses. And this is an opportunity for us to respond to the good news. But the point I wanted to share, and I really don't want us to miss, is that the good news does give us new desires. The good news does give us or call us to new priorities. But I, this was burning in me so strongly that the, there's something that comes before good new desires and new priorities. And if we don't get this other something really clear in our thinking, we can very easily just move into do the right thing. 
And that is not the gospel. Do the right thing. It's so important that we hear this. Listen carefully. There's something that comes before new desires and new priorities. It's becoming a new kind of person. It is the transforming of our most innermost part of our being. We don't do to become. It's because the gospel has rescued us by sheer grace and God makes us his very own sons and daughters, we get a new heavenly genetic, a new grace operating system. That's what the gospel does. It makes us brand new on the inside and that brand new reality on the inside awakens these new desires, awakens these new priorities and we are empowered as a new kind of person. So let me put it another way. We are not trying to do the right thing as Christ followers. And maybe you're new, checking out, trying to make sense of Christianity, and you're thinking, well, I'm just going to pray more, and I'm going to get more better priorities. I want to say to you, God wants to release you from that, and He wants to release all of us from that. He wants us to get a new nature, and He wants us to be transformed, born again, on the inside. Most of us in the room, that will be a reality for others, maybe not. But the starting point is new desires and new priorities flow out of a new nature, becoming a brand new person. And that's why we go to this meal. And that's why we come for prayer. We understand there's nothing we can earn or deserve to get God's favor. I hope that's helpful. Wonderful. Thanks, Rigby. And I love it when the Holy Spirit moves amongst us, speaks to us so clearly and audibly. And here's an opportunity for us to respond. We've been sitting here quietly contemplating, reflecting, and hoping the Holy Spirit is massaging something in our hearts as we've heard the message, as we've heard the preach, as we've heard the miracle touch of God on our lives. There's an opportunity for us each independently or even corporately as couples, as friends, as family, as we gather together and we take this communion. We take the blood, which is represented in the juice of Jesus, and we take the bread, which is represented in the wafer. And for those who are visiting here, Uh, No compulsion. This is a moment where we just appreciate and understand what God is doing. We look upward in terms of what he's done. We look backward in terms of Jesus and the the life that he led. And we look forward to his second coming. We look inward in terms of the work that he's doing in our lives. And we look to each other as what he's doing to us as a community. So as we take of this bread, we drink of the juice, we eat of the bread, we just understand what Jesus has done on the cross for each and every one of us, for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. So, without further ado, please do come up, take juice, take a wafer, meditate on what God is doing, what God has done, what He's going to do, and just look forward to each other as well as a community. Thank you, Lord.